Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 11 of the Fan Engagement Pod. In this episode, I chat with Ryan Sparks, Director of Communications and Commercial at Bradford City Football Club, though at the time of the interview, he was just Director of Communications, so congratulations, Ryan. I really like chatting with him because he's not afraid to challenge received wisdom, and also because he made his way in the sport of rugby league and has a different perspective from others who've never worked outside of the game. He talks a lot of sense about trust building, being honest with fans, and about why marketing and branding should be true to what you are as a club. The Rugby League theme is something I'm going to be following up on soon when I speak with Warrington Wolves Chief Executive Carl Fitzpatrick and former Cronulla Sharks Chair Damien Irvine, now Chief Executive at Ebbsfleet United Football Club. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. We've um, spoken a couple of times like your colleagues in in um in who work in communications and and these sorts of fields dealing with fan engagement on a regular basis you're hard to pin down <laughs> very busy all the time i know you've been very busy with a really um important day in bradford city's history today the commemoration of the the valley uh, parade fire um and the loss of all those lives um i don't want to brush over that so Obviously, it must have been a bit of a tricky one because you're not able to be there in person. Most people can't be there in person today, so you had to try and deliver that in a way that honoured the the, uh, the 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 dead. Well, that's right, Kevin. Yeah, it's um, a very very sensitive subject. It affects uh, thousands of people across our district, our entire fan base, uh, friends, family connected to both Bradford City and Lincoln directly, and then you have to remember. All the emergency services were involved on that day as well. Um, and look, it's the 35th anniversary this year. Uh, given what where we're at in society at the moment with restrictions and social gathering um, limiting and all that kind of stuff, we always knew that, well, we certainly knew in March and April that it was going to be virtually impossible to stage um, in the memorial in the normal way, which would have been in Centenary Square. So at that point, you're left with, uh, you know, for me, for me, the easiest decision in the world, which is there's no way we're going to cancel it. We have to, we have to do something in a different way and adapt to what's been put in front of us. Uh, and we've done that by, by way of a sort of uh, online memorial. So the, the content that would have been uh, shared in person, so to speak, was shared via YouTube and various other social avenues, you can imagine. Um, and, and, and it was obviously very important for us to get the tone right because it's naturally something that um, people, you know, do say to me that they don't like too much of it to become commercialised or celebritised. They just they would like to grieve and mourn in their own way. And I think that's absolutely, you know, totally acceptable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And with that in mind, you know, I, I knew it would have to be lifted, uh, sort of elevated more than it has been in the past, naturally, because it's all over uh, the club's channels and Bradford Council's channels. Um, but in the same 
breath, we needed to make sure we got the, the tone there or thereabouts and that people could sit in and watch it and pay their respects and not be overawed by any of, the, of what was being said or what was being talked about. And I think the people that spoke and on behalf of the club and behalf of the council and all the various um, uh, sort of emergency services, I think they got their messages really well put well across and it was very well received. So fingers crossed, um, people, people walk away today thinking, you know, they haven't missed out necessarily, um, which, you know, was something what we aim to do. Okay, good. Okay. Um, on to um, the, the reason for the podcast, um, yes. fan engagement. Um, it's obviously, this is a, something where it gives me an opportunity to talk to people who don't get an awful lot of time to, um, to, to, to talk about what they do necessarily. Uh, quite often have something different to bring to fan engagement. Now, what um, attracted me to talking to you um, particularly was your experience in rugby league because for people who <clears throat> who don't know you are director of communications at Bradford City and you lead on that <clears throat> and obviously fan engagement is massively you know, the cent- centerpiece of everything you're doing uh, but before that you were uh, you were in uh, Featherstone Rovers and before that you were at Bradford Bulls yes. uh, rugby league so it's it's interesting to talk to someone who works at such a senior level in, a, in an English football club in England in a football club, doing doing a role that is so important in terms of fan engagement, having come from a different sport. Um, although you know, and so it'd be interesting to see what um, what you found um, different for a start about the approach to fans. Um, in, in in football as compared to yeah. your roles at, at Bradford Bulls and at Featherstone Rovers Rugby League? I think it's it's a really interesting subject to open up, Kevin, because first and foremost, when I was at Bradford Bulls, I always knew as a young a young guy that I wanted to have a shot in football and try and apply some of my methods in, in the round ball game. Um, I think my desire to go work for, for Featherstone Rovers was a surprise to quite a few people because it was a championship rugby league club and was seen, I know, by our chairman at Oddsall as, um, at the time as a backward step for me. And, and I, did, I disagreed with him. I wanted to um, remap and reshape the club's brand image and you name it, actually get people talking, put the club back on the map. It, it was a club that was massive in the 70s and 80s, a really cult hero club with some big players and it just it, 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 it fell away in the Super League era, um, possibly not through its entirely its own fault. The, the mining strikes hurt the town badly, um, and it never recovered. Um, and I was really determined to go there and, uh, you know, like I say, essentially restart the brand. Um, and I wanted to do that, and, and fan engagement played a big part in it, because when I went to Featherstone Rovers, the fans were extremely unhappy with their club, Everything you did was, oh, we've, we don't want to do it. We've heard it all before. Please don't give us the same old nonsense. And it took about six months to nine, six to nine months to turn that around. And I, and I said to our chief executive at the time, you know, don't worry. Just keep going in a direction. People will start to, you know, it's a, it's a change of culture. And it's a change of um, method. And they've not heard this before. So let, you've got it, we've got to take them there and they'll come with us. And it was similar at Bradford Bulls, although that club had been harmed badly by horrendous mismanagement at the tip top, time after time after time. Sadly for me, I came in at the wrong end of it. 
um, and two administrations later, I'd had enough. <laughs> so, but but ultimately, the, the big difference is um, you know in rugby league, you, you have to work. I feel that you have to work much harder for to convince the fan to watch the game in your stadium. That's that's the biggest difference. You know, um, football is very tribal. Uh, people talk about rugby league being a tribal sport. I disagree with that massively because when I and I'd love to tell someone to convince me otherwise, but it's tribal in some ways, certainly in terms of origin and, and the way it's played and the passion of the players. But unfortunately, the passion of the players isn't backed up in the terraces. And what I've seen at Bradford City is that, you know, if we get the message right, and, you know, one of my favourite sayings is that weak messages create bad situations. And that's been proven at Bradford City. Uh, When I went to the club, I knew that I was going into a difficult situation. Very difficult. Um, It was a massive risk that could have gone wrong. I was going to go work under an own, uh, a chief executive that everybody wanted to leave the club. I understood that. But I saw that as a challenge. And I would, I'm the kind of person that if the SHIT hits the fan, I like to run towards it. It's just <laughs> so most people run in the other direction. Some people left our club. I didn't. I wanted to carry on. I wanted to fix it up. And, I'm, and we're working on that. And it's a big, it's a big job. But our, our supporter base is at the heart of everything we do. Slight difference I've seen between a rugby league and a football club. Let's talk about Bradford and Bradford areas. Bradford Bulls in their absolute pomp, averaging 13,000, 14,000 a week at odd sold sellout crowds, record-breaking crowds like you've never seen. As soon as that became not sexy in any way, those crowds plummeted. And I mean, fell through the floor to the point where they are now, which is playing at Dewsbury Ramsey Stadium with 2,000 people in the ground. That is a, a very, very sad fall from grace for a lot of people, myself included. Bradford City, we go through some tough periods, um, questions over our, our ownership, our leadership. I, I, I would never argue with anyone who has a point to raise. I think everyone's entitled to their opinion, just to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, our crowds slip slightly, but ultimately they, keep, they wanted to come back and give us a, a second chance or even a third chance as an organisation in recent times. And that and that's the big difference, if I'm honest. There seems to be more... It's, a, it's Bradford City, it's like... It's, it's almost... It's so close to people's hearts that they just do not want to turn on it, their club. And, and, hey, don't get me wrong, they will give you their opinion. And the way I am on social media, certainly if you look at my Twitter account, I'm very, I take a very transparent approach. If a supporter asks me a question that some people might go, wow, that's a big question, I tend to answer it. Because mm. honesty is the best policy when you're trying to run a football club. And if people know where you stand, they know where they stand, where you stand. And some people won't like where you stand. Some people would like you to stand somewhere else, preferably outside the four walls. <laughs> but I find that most people who can go to bed at night and say, well, okay, I would love us to be owned by someone... Um, like maybe someone who might be about to buy Newcastle United and pour loads of money in and drives into the Premier League and Champions League and whatever, but at least they know where they stand. And let, me, uh, let me raise one thing here. So um, this loyalty that 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 um, fans have, you know, and I'm I'm one myself, obviously, mm. um, my own club. <clears throat> um, is is that does that loyalty make football clubs lazy? 
I think there's an argument for that. I mean, when I first came to Bradford City, I was a little bit taken aback by the fact, uh, by the lack of match-to-match marketing and probably a resting on the laurels of success. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, it's nothing personal against anyone else. I just think that when they went through that incredible run of success, you, you know, you have to question what was being backfilled in terms of um, the setup. Uh, the infrastructure, um, what was underpinning that success, you know, big season ticket sales, but how do we keep them people when the going gets, you know, when the going goes the other way. And the thing about sport that I've learned the hard way is that sport goes in massive cycles and the cycles can be 10, 20 years. Clubs can go away. They can go bust. They can come back. They can win the Champions League. You know, take Nottingham Forest, for an example. When I were a young lad, they were in the Premier League. They won Champions Leagues years ago. They're still in the championship now. It's been a long time. They're not a bad club, but they're, they're not quite where they were. And Sunderland is a, is a massive example of that. Because United, Bradford City, frankly. So I think that's, I would say, you know, when, when I go around the country to the other clubs as well, there are some clubs that know they're going to pull a crowd. And I think the bigger the club is, the, big, the more they can rely on the fan base. Because football is the game's biggest, the world's biggest game. You know, everyone wants to watch it. And if a team gets in contention for Premier League football and you've got 30,000 seats in your stadium, they're probably going to get filled. They're probably going to get filled. Uh, and I think that people know that as well. And, and, and if you look at the price of the ticket in, it would suggest, not particularly at Bradford City, I can't, you know, we're in a different world on that, but some clubs, 25, 30 quid to watch League One Championship football and, and they fill the grounds. You know, so... You could argue, well, what's the point then? You know, they're doing something right. What's your point? And I, I don't, I don't think it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's a very different approach. Whereas in rugby league, I vividly remember a game that we had where we brought Toronto Wolfpack. We're going to come and play at Featherstone for the first time ever. Um, and you're talking about absolute chalk and cheese. You're talking about a 1921 rugby league club that is founded on coal mining, the smallest village in in my in my opinion from what I, I've learned the smallest village in the world to have a professional sports club. Uh, the, the, I think the population of Featherstone is about 15,000 and the average crowds are about two and a half, two, six. So it's well over sort of 15, 20% of its population is watching the club. If we had that in Bradford, we'd have to build 10 different, 10 new stadiums piled on top of each other. So it is, it's very different. And that night when they came, based on, bear on the fact it's an organic audience because Toronto would have five fans with them um, we had about four and a half thousand in the stadium which would, was like our record league crowd for three years and, and it became about we had to make that an event and do everything we could there was nothing left to sweat out of that stadium to get that crowd um, so, found, so Ryan found, sorry carry, carry on mate carry on well, I, found, I found in rugby league you know the big thing that sold was the stories. Stories sell. You know, we drew, at Featherstone, we drew Hull FC in a Challenge Cup quarterfinal. If you look back in history, Featherstone famously beat Hull FC in a Challenge Cup final, so we just reinvented it. So much so that I, I rang the chief executive at Hull and I said, listen, this is going to shock you. We want you to wear your home kit and we're going to wear our away kicks. It's nearer to the Challenge Cup final kit. He said, why? I said, because we've got to make some theatre. We've got to make people, I want to build a rivalry between the two clubs that's not there. We almost needed a bit of hatred because, Kevin, in my opinion, there's only two things that sell in this country, and that's hype and scandal. And 
that's how that's the basis we worked on in rugby league and it felt very good to get four and a half thousand but in real terms it was very small but the the amount of effort and energy you had to put in to get that be even the program i think was a remake of the challenge cup final program every little one percent added on to drive interest towards the game so are you um i mean in rugby league what's i had some small experience of it during my time as supporters right where we extended out into rugby league a little bit and yeah bramley buffaloes was famously uh the first fan-owned rugby league club but there were others that had supporters trust there and involvement in the ownership to some extent yeah how how much is fan engagement something that is much more about the arm of uh the the, the need to drive a sort of a much more traditional marketing um, approach and how much of it is that sense of belonging in rugby league, that sense of belonging, that identity, because, you know, something like Featherstone Rovers, you know, you're saying here, this is a, a small uh, village rugby league club built on um, some, some old traditions. Yeah. Obviously it's had to change, but it's got, so, there's something very special about that. I know from, I used to watch Fulham years and years ago before they were, uh, became, uh, uh, turned into the various guises of the rugby league, London rugby league franchise or yeah, rugby obviously. league club that they are now. So I, I know a little bit about league. I've, I've experienced it a little bit, but is there that sense of identity and belonging that people have? I get that people yeah. drift away, but do, do people well, feel uh, a sense of belonging in, in, in with, the, with their rugby league clubs in that yeah, way? They, they do, but you've got to be so very careful. I mean, London, London Broncos is an interesting example because as you, you, you said, they've watered themselves down. Well, when I got to Featherstone Rovers, they were operating their th 13th different club logo in the last 20 years, which I found mind-boggling. Um, I don't really know that had happened. I think someone on a committee had allowed that to happen. And, and I said, what on earth are you doing? You, know, you are losing what this club means. What, this club is based on this crest, and you've gone here, 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 here. You've tried to rehash the Rovers as pirates. People are losing touch with what, what, what was theirs. Um, you know, equally, there was campaigns in the past like Destination Super League. And you see that those campaigns are okay if you can realistically guarantee that end game. And then if you do Destination Super League and you end up with Destination Nowhere, you turn people off. Um, and then, you know, you talk about the, the, what, the, what the spot the club's built on and, and people feeling like they belong to it. All of a sudden, they think they don't. So... A big thing for, for me at that club was that the, the, the internal aspects of the stadium were tired, dated. We had hundreds of logos kicking around that I've never seen before from various ideas. And we decided to make use of the place. So we, you know, we launched a new Legends Lounge where the fans actually voted for who they would deem the top 50 players to ever play for the club. And this was born out of some frustration over an old archaic Hall of Fame that failed, didn't work. So a, a random person was deciding who was going to be in the Hall of Fame. That's crazy. So we handed that back to the supporters. Then we created a thing called Wembley Way, which is essentially a corridor down the main room of the offices uh, where all the fans walk past. And it's got, you know, the, 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 the silverware from some of the silverware from Wembley, some of the players' boots, some of the balls, some of the shirts. It's really nice, like a small museum. But it, that built that feeling of belonging comes closer when you look around you and you are like, yeah, this is my club. This is what it's, this is what it's all about. You know, and it's something that I'm quite passionate about Bradford City. We must improve 
our sort of brand identity in and around the ground because it's easy to forget you're at our stadium in certain corridors because of the way it is. You know, we need to work on that because people need to feel that, that yes, you know, and if you're having a bad day and you're 3-0 down at half time, but you walk outside and you go get a coffee and you see something that makes you go back in time and you think, no, this is why I watch the club. This is why it doesn't, it hurts me, but I still love it. You know, we, you, that's really important to people. And uh, it would really well receive that kind of stuff, you know. And, and in rugby league, it is a heritage, you know, it's, it's a game that's been fighting with the other code since it started. And history really matters in rugby, really matters. So tell me something, Ryan. Um, that's an interesting point. History really matters. Great line. Absolutely understand what you mean by that. Yeah. So what, I don't, I don't want to couch it intentionally, in an intentionally sort of controversial way, but... Um, what damage, in that sense, has some of what Super League has spawned done? Because you know that in a lot of cases, change, literally changed the identity of some of, of some of those clubs. Yeah, um, and you had some patently ridiculous suggestions and the possibility yeah. of withdrawing rele- relegation and promotion, and that was always a point of part of the point of league as it operated in that way. So. You know, it, did that do a lot of, you know, did some of what happened with Lee, oh, did, did, that, did that damage the relationship between the fans and their clubs? Yeah, and the fans and yeah. The, the, the governing bodies are undoubtedly responsible for the decline of the game. There's a number of reasons for that. The salary cap is one. It's um, short-sighted, to say the least, at Super League level. You have a maximum cap, which is relatively low, therefore big investors aren't interested and yet you don't have a minimum cap. So you can spend what you want, pocket the TV money. And really, if we had a minimum cap, you would have elite competition. And people, funnily enough, want to watch the world's best players. But if you're not allowed to buy them, you're not going to come and watch them. Therefore, no one's that interested. Various stories I heard over the years about uh, owners, one of even us at Featherstone, trying to make uh, what I would call ridiculous signings going into the playoffs. One bums on seats. Uh, you know, hype. Really, you know, creating hype in, in a sort of box office mentality. That's how, that's how we work from a promotional perspective. And those signings were blocked because they didn't quite have the perfect visa regs or, you know, the salary was a bit too much for the situation. Very disappointing, very backwards. Um, it, the, the problem with rugby league is it doesn't know when to stop tinkering. And it's born out of, it's born out of its split with rugby union. Shall we do this? Shall we get rid of the line out? Shall we play the ball? Shall we have contested scrums? Let's try this again. Let's try that again. Let's try six tackles, seven tackles, five tackles. And it's still going on today. Super League was one of these big tinker projects. It's going okay. If they don't get a new TV deal next year, I will pray overnight for every club in the game. And as should anyone else that watches rugby league. Because the game is absolutely built on a TV deal at top level. Take the TV deal out. It's a part-time amateur sport as it was prior. Um, But it causes a lot of confusion. And, you know, you talk about fan engagement. Go back to what I said before. Weak messages create bad situations. If people are absolutely clear on what it is, the product, they can work with it. But when you introduce franchising, then three clubs go bust, so you get rid of it. Then you introduce promotion and relegation, but the big boys at the top table don't like the little boys coming and playing with them. They get rid of it. And then, and then you have the Super 8 system, which was largely ridiculous with a million-pound game, which killed, probably finished off Bradford Bulls, if I'm honest, although it was their own fault. You know, I was at the club at the time. They spent every nickel they had trying to do it, and it blew up in their faces. Um, but, yeah, look, 
it, it does affect people and many many people I, I know who have even people in my own family have said oh, I can't be bothered with it anymore you know I just can't be bothered because it's too much I don't understand the promotion relegation no idea what's going on if they win the league below they can't get promoted because the stadium's not nice enough it's it's and and this is a thing that I have a personal fear for football with you know if you if we start salary capping and there is no percentage of income in terms of the cap so if you don't say your salary cap is 60% of your turnover there is no incentive for any club to increase its turnover therefore you will you will actually see a decline you will see a a retraction. Clubs will start to lay staff off. They won't. They won't need to grow that much more. And and then you are sleepwalking, in my opinion, to a potential franchising system where you shut the door on the national league, and you're protecting people that ne- don't necessarily want to invest in their clubs. So it it is. Um, <clears throat> there are lessons to learn. You know, there are lessons to learn. But going back to your original point, that's slightly different. You will turn supporters off if it becomes dull. It doesn't matter what level you're playing at. If it becomes a little bit dull, you will turn supporters off. You know, and many maybe if you roll the clock back five or six years in the championship, which sits below Super League, a number of owners were pouring money in to their championship clubs to try and be the best team in the championship. And it's something that baffles me, and I speak to people in the sport now and we still discuss it. It it's like trying to win the Donkey Derby. It's utterly pointless. You know, if I was running a club six, seven years ago in the championship, I would have done nothing. I would have let us finish bottom three every year because there was nothing to play for. You needed to be in a certain bracket to even have a dream of franchising. Bear in mind the Super League bosses already knew what they wanted from a franchise side. They wanted a team from Wales to justify playing the Magic Weekend at Cardiff every year, which has done zero for the sport whatsoever. That was just a nice day out for people. It's not developed anything. We've got Two Welsh sides in League One. One is okay. One is an embarrassment to the sport on every level um, and should probably wrap it up as soon as possible. And then, and, and that was born out of a project. Then they took it to Murrayfield. Everyone went, why are you taking the Magic Weekend to Murrayfield? Oh, we're going to try it. We're going to try it in Scotland. Scotland rugby, rugby League is smaller now than it's ever been. I don't even think they dare take it to Ireland. Um, so now we play the Magic Weekend in places like Newcastle and Manchester. Um, but again... There was no way for anyone really to get into Super League. Like a Featherstone Rovers were dreaming, but yet they were trying. You know, they were trying to put bums on seats and sell the dream, but they were winning a piece of silverware that was largely irrelevant. Then you open up the Super League trap door and a few clubs go, okay. And Lee Centurions, their owner, throws millions in. They get promoted. And all of a sudden, the big boys go, whoa, we don't want this. We do not want this. But because of that selfishness, which I have to understand because clubs have to look after themselves, you are really starting to alienate supporters. Supporters just go, I don't, I don't know about this anymore. If this is how it's going to be, I don't want to be a part of it. And, and, and anyone who wants to dispute the points I've raised, I'd love to know what their view is on the declining attendances across Super League. I think only Warrington Wolves have increased their attendances. I, I can't think off the top of my head of anyone else. And Warrington have done it through fan engagement, mm. up their club up, making, trying to bring back a sense of belonging. They've done it the right way. Tell me a little bit about Warrington then, because you're, I mean, you're, league is your sport, right? It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're very, I mean, you're, you're clearly incredibly passionate about league and, and the opportunities you feel it's missed. And yeah. what, have Warring, what have Warrington done that's, that, that 
just explain a little bit more if you can I kind of expand quite on quite frankly kevin they've torn up the script i don't think they're doing anything more impressive what i will say is that there is a let's not get this wrong some of the stuff that goes on in football socially and in terms of fan engagement is really really good it's 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 really world leading in my opinion and some of the clubs are fantastic to look at you know we take a great deal of interest from clubs around the world we look at motorsports uh, nfl teams they get it really good and i think with warrington they kind of looked at, at, at football and said you know like some of the clubs i don't really like it i think when clubs argue on twitter and they throw you know kind of bombs around it's a little bit petty and i think they call it banter don't they <laughs> they call it banter it's a little classless if i'm honest at times and you, I've always think you know one thing one analogy that I always use from rugby league and I bring it into football is that most people consider tackle one and two and you need to consider what you're going to do on tackle five and six and that's how I look at everything if things look a bit if you, if you want to come up with something but you think it might not work out when you get to tackle five don't do it because yeah. it probably won't work out and it'll probably hurt you in the long run and make you look quite stupid and and I know there are certain clubs in our division and in league one who made lots of noise and it it came back and egg on the face. So I, there's a way of doing it. However, Warrington looked at that, I think, in rugby league and thought, well, who, where's the boundaries here? You know, no one's set any parameters. Let's have more fun. Let's be a bit more cheeky on social media. And they just did random things, you know, and, and, and they have this guy called the Wire Flyer who runs down the pitch at half time and people challenge him every week. And he, he's, he allegedly is an ex-player who's like an ex-sprinter and no one can, a bit like the Stig in, in, in Top Gear, it's a similar kind of thing. But it works because people, and then it ends up on Sky News because no one's ever seen anything like it. So they get this reach that they've never had. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, 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 and the one thing I will say is people get very hung up on marketing and trying to be clever and strategies. And one thing that I have seen work time after time is people follow people and if, and if things, and I go back to hype and scandal, if things seem bigger than they actually are, you go, wow, Warrington. Yeah, I might, I, I might go watch Warrington. I, I live in Warrington. I, I've, I've lived here all my life. I used to watch them. You're naturally drawn to that. And anyone who would dispute that, explain to me how every box office, Sky box office boxing fight is sold out in the stadium instantly and is watched by millions and millions around the world. And it's hype. Hate against hate, mate against mate. You've got two fighters who actually like each other and they find a way to hate each other for a period. And that sells. And that's what it's ultimately about. It's about creating that excitement. But you've but but you you touched on something there with Warrington and it's um it's a word that I used talking to Dan McGeechy the other day, who obviously was at Bradford himself a while back, Bradford City yeah. was um Authenticity is an overused word. I'm not a big fan of using it, um, largely because I think it's been misused. But in this context, you know, you were talking really about the authenticity and you, the success, you know, that Warrington have in, employed. That you know, they've actually, and it's not, it, it, it's, it, you know, with with your experience with Featherstone, authenticity wasn't a brand mark, you know, a brand uh, uh, a strategy. It wasn't a marketing strategy. It was just being true to yourself. And being yeah. true to what you are, then you can have fun with it. The bit that the bit that I've I'll give you a prime example, Kevin, yeah. Yeah. on that very point. So we understood what we were at Featherstone. And our for some reason they decided that a rover was a pirate and we had this frightening pirate walking around the town. 
trying to get kids interested in rugby league and kids were crying. And so we sat back and said, what about a pit pony? You know, no one has a pit pony. And everyone laughs at, my God, six weeks down the track, we're, we're over at the National Coal Mining Museum. We have Percy the pit pony, who is now a cult figure in rugby league, holding two actual pit ponies. And this becomes all of a sudden, we, what we did there was we thought, you know what? Mascots have become a thing of the past. Let's bring the mascot back. Let's make our mascot our thing. And Percy the pit pony is arguably bigger than elements of the club. And kids, kids like love that. But it, it, you know, it, it sat on its brand, on its authenticity, but spinning away into something a little bit more interesting for a youngster. Yeah, but people get people can tell if you know fans can fans. You know, we are. You know, <laughs> fans are not some special breed. People can tell um, yeah. uh, when clubs are not being straight with them and not being honest yeah. or being trying to be something they're not. And it was. You know, it's better to be the best Featherstone Rovers you can be than trying to pretend to be, you know, a, a super duper, super league top 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 three yeah. side, isn't it? Be, That's you know, right. the pit pony relates to your relates to your, you know, to the to the foundations of the club. People connect to it. They say, yeah, that means something to me. Now I yeah. know when the, when the club talks to me, the club is talking to me as yes. a fan of Featherstone Rovers, not as. A, a user of a, service, a customer yeah. or a, you know this is something real so just tell me something when it comes to the way that that fans interact in terms of the interest um that that fans in you know in football um you know it's it's a real spotlight that you're under when you say for example you're running um programs of engagement perhaps it might be with your fans parliament it might be online through uh, social through Twitter accounts, it might be through, you know, email or phone and all those kinds of things. What's the the level of pressure like compared to the expectations when you're dealing with it on the league side as compared to football? Um, I, I think the pressures and expectation in football are a thousand percent more. Um, put it this way: when I sat in the first fans forum, I was involved with at Featherstone Rovers. I said two things. I said, look, I'm going to try and put this club. Uh, back on its map and a few people in the room kind of went oh oh, oh, oh. Well, we're already on the map but most people didn't now if I said that at Bradford City there'd be outcry because the club is on the map and it means something and it just showed me that that's a direct comparison and I just said that we are not a Super League team we're not a top Super League team we're not going to win Super League in the next 10 years but if we ever get there we will make sure this club is ready for it and it acts like an actual business rather than a community club. And that's all I said. But no one in the room. And that's, that's they're quite big, bold statements to make when you've just walked in the door and no one knows who you are. But um, we, we kind of got that working. And to be fair, I think it's there or thereabouts, actually. Now, so that's the sort of legacy. But the fans kind of didn't, they were quite passive about it. Whereas, you know, at Bradford City, when, you know, one thing that I have made absolutely point of doing is meeting with various fan groups sitting on the supporters board every month. So there's a, an authentic communications kind of strand going on. But then equally on social media, I'll talk to people very openly, be very honest with people. Because, I, I, but the pressure, I must admit, the, the pressure of making sure you get those communications right and making sure you make time for people and making sure you take, and you're very receptive to ideas because everyone's got good ideas. 
that feels a lot more um, hot pressure-wise from a football perspective. Yes, it's a bigger club, but it's still it's still more pressure. There's, there is more pressure in football on that. Um, mm. it, there is a demand. I think fans have, demand to know where where we stand as an organisation. That might be true to Bradford City, but I think it's true to a lot of clubs actually. Even I think it's very yeah. successful and not so successful. Yes. No, I think that's a general expectation, and perhaps that's something that. Um, you know, kind of beginning to kind of head towards the close of this and bundling all this together, it strikes me looking at rugby league, and I'd really love to talk to to some people in league. Um, uh, 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 is that there are a there's an issue there with 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 clubs. You know, fans' heads are spinning half the time. They don't know what the game is meant to be. They don't know their club's identity is changing all the time. There's maybe an element. There's, yeah, there's maybe, you know, you talked about being, you know, you're, you're the director of communications, you've got a, a, a wide ranging brief, but you, 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 you and the club have, have, have decided that it's important enough uh, in your role to be involved as, as you are in, um, in, the, in, the, in the fans parliament, in the fan liaison stuff. You know, that's something that perhaps other, you know, that perhaps league could learn from it and that, that's good in, in, in what you're doing in football. In fact, a lot of football clubs, I think, could learn from that, 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 that some of that grind takes away some of the pressure and that's you right. want to give you a level of insight you wouldn't have otherwise. I think you're right, Kevin. There's, there's a couple of points there. And if I ever went back to rugby league and went back to clubs that I were involved in in the past or even other ones, I'd, feel I'd, I'd do it very differently. I would take the bits that I got right in rugby league and the bits that I've got wrong and right at Bradford City and put them all back in and and what everything is based on before you can even try to market is trust and if people trust you i not just their club but they need to trust the people in it that it's not just being uh, run by a bunch of idiots which is you know yeah. given given i won't lie to you given the involvement of previous people at our club and without naming a name I know what I, I know what people think about our thought of our club, and that's very very hard to turn around. So I want to make time to speak to people, so they know that they can speak to me. But I will be very honest with them; they can be honest with me, and I know where that's at. So when you want to pitch something, you want to sell it, you want to sell the dream, you want to market. I have a much better judgment of how that's going to go before we start wasting money and time. Um, so much so that I know if we could if we could nail a date down tomorrow. And we were going to have a really good game against, uh, I'm trying to think of a League Two side who bring an away crowd like a Grimsby, t- uh, Grimsby or someone like that. And we could reinvent what we had on Stewart's first game. I think we could sell the stadium out for the first game back after the lockdown because I have a feeling of how this fan base is going to respond. And believe me, I have put more work in talking to people and you talk about the grind. A lot of these hours are way outside office hours. It's 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. It's in pubs, it's in working men's clubs, whatever it is. Fans forums, we did three in the summer last year, none of them at the stadium. I purposely took them away from the ground so we're in other people's backyards, out of the comfort zone, not hiding behind any nonsense, straight in front of people. And that trust building gets you by. And when there is a period of real disappointment or even a question mark's being raised, people will always go back and say, but he is honest with us. He will not lie to us. 